strong women, smart policy, solid theology, and no apology. This is Concerned Women Today with Penny Young Nance, CEO and President of Concerned Women for America, the largest public policy organization for women in the nation. Here's your host, Penny Nance. Joining me now is Ryan Helfenbein from the Freedom Center at Liberty University. Of course, my alma mater, a great institution. I think really one of the most important institutions in our country for evangelical Christian young people and for the future of evangelicalism for the United States. I feel like I'm living, you know, in this time that where people are saying with a straight face, Things that I, I I can't, I would never have thought I would have heard in this country in which racism against one group, white people and certainly white males is okay. In fact, you just got to sit there and take it and not have an opinion on it and just apologize. And it's assumed that just based on your skin tone, you are racist. You must be racist because of the body and the family that you were born into. That is a long way from really Martin Luther King's attitude and, and speeches and beliefs in which we, you know, we believed a man should be judged by the content of his character, not the color of his skin. So um, I would love for you to speak as someone who is working with Christian young people, how that that is working into the conversation, even at Liberty University, and how do we deal with it within the church and, and sort of what you're seeing, this is a lot, I'm asking you three questions here. This is great. What, no, this is wonderful. What are you seeing within Christian leadership, pastors, and within the Southern Baptist? I'd love for you to sort of speak mm. into where we are right now and how we need to move forward in a way that unites us. Because what we believe and know to be true is that we were all created in God's image. Every single human being has intrinsic value and equality in the sight of God. No matter who you're born to, what family, what skin tone, no matter any of that, God loves you and Jesus died for you. And there is nothing more equal, honestly, than that. What should define us as Christians, what must define us is our identity in Christ first and foremost. Well, those are great thoughts. And I'm, I'm really going to piggyback off of those. I'm going to start with the first thing that, that you'd mentioned about uh, this upcoming generation. We want to train up happy warriors. We want to train up a young generation of people that are ready to fight the good fight, but to do so with joy and to have a, a, an aroma of joy. Um, one of the things that sort of defines the woke uh, kind of leftist, it's a pernicious evil, is this fear, uh, trepidation, suspicion, and self-loathing. They don't actually know how to love one another. They definitely don't know how to love themselves. And we, I, I often talk about the moral therapeutic gospel. The gospel is not about moralism, but the fake gospel is about moralism. The real gospel is that we cannot work ourselves into heaven. There's nothing right. that we can do to earn the right to be in the presence of God. God had to make a way. He had to send his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. That's the way we have forgiveness. We go to God by the blood of the lamb, and that's Jesus Christ. He's the one that paid it all. I can't pay my debts. I certainly, Penny, cannot pay the debts of some somebody from 200 years ago, mm -hmm. somebody who committed an evil 200 years ago. I can't do that. 
That's not even the gospel. The Bible speaks in clear terms, even about the sins of the Father and the sins of the Son. In Ezekiel chapter 18, the sins of the Father shall not count against the Son. The sins of the Son shall not count against the Father. We have in this new kind of anti-racism racism, it's really as you identified properly, it is racism under new management. And what they're trying to do is say sin is skin. Uh, skin is sin. Uh, just by your own pigmentation, you are guilty for what? For maybe what, what happened took place 200 years ago by somebody else who's not even related to you, has nothing to do with you, uh, either familial ties or even, even your faith, and yet you're responsible for that. Um, that's one thing. And, and the Bible clearly speaks that you are not. Um, responsible for the sins of the other. We have to repent for our own sin. CRT goes a little bit further, uh, critical race theory and what it seeks to promote. And it creates uh, and indoctrinates this, this um, what I call a hermeneutic of suspicion. I had to rebuke a young man yesterday because he was speaking about institutional racism. Good kid, but totally misguided. And this term is something that somebody else taught him. He's, he's too young to even understand what it is that he was talking about. But, but what Marxism tends to do is create this oppressor class, and it wants to say that racism is everywhere. You, you don't actually have to do anything. The assumption is it's everywhere. You just need to pick up the rocks and turn over every stone, and under each stone, you're going to find racism abuse, scandal, evil, and we have to root it out. And in every single person who is Anglo or of Anglo descent or Anglo-European, whatever, um, you are already marked out just by the virtue that you have a lighter skin pigmentation. You are the oppressor, according to this, this new woke narrative. Um, so, I think that what we have to do more than anything is get our story straight, which is the gospel, mm -hmm. and to teach that again and again to this younger generation, take them back to what the Word of God speaks as truth. This is God's Word. It is trustworthy. It is true. Here is our hope. It is built on Jesus Christ and nothing less. And if you add anything to that or take anything from it, you don't have the gospel. You just pointed out Galatians 3.28, right. mm -hmm. there is neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek. We are all one if we are in fact in Christ. And I think what this particular moment is pointing out, even for the church, Penny, are, are those who actually don't really know the gospel. They think they do, but this is a gut check. And, and every generation produces a new challenge. We always have to uh, we always have to figure these things out in, as a church, but what we're seeing in this moment are pastors who are willing to adopt a narrative without even understanding the terms or where they came from. And so last summer, uh, we all were taken by surprise what happened out of Minneapolis. And people were all too willing to post blackout squares without even understanding what BLM Inc. was all about, Black Lives Matter Inc. They were just saying, yes, of course, Black Lives Matter. Of course I support that. Um, and who wouldn't support that? But what, what is actually underneath that is a propaganda piece that is very well funded. Uh, by the way, 
it's, it's akin to what's happening in New York and Chicago with the BDS movement, boycott, divest, and sanction of Israel, these pro-Palestinian groups funded by largely the same people uh, that are funding Black Lives Matter, Inc. And the idea is, again, to create a whole new cultural hegemony where we turn everything over on its head. We basically say it is about equity. It's not about equality. Uh, we define a whole new Marxist system of economics where, hey, inflation be danged. We don't care. We'll print money uh, you know, until, until Christ returns. It doesn't matter. Mm. Uh, money doesn't matter. Sexuality, gender identity, it doesn't matter. This is what woke activists are producing, and it's absolutely dangerous. It absolutely has consequences. Uh, we've got to be prepared to fight. We've got to fight it in our churches and our college campuses, universities, and K-12 education. Well, and there's indoctrination that's ha happening already. It's already been happening in public school system now for many years. Um, mm. You, the, our, our Christian institutions are receiving kids that have already been fed information right. that is wrong and theologically incorrect. So, you know, it's even more important that the Freedom Center and that others are very specifically taking on where where this this alternative theology, which is mm. is counter to God's word, is incorrect. Yeah. Um, I, I do want to say one thing though. I I think um, as a Christian, we recognize that we have a responsibility to care for the least of these and care for the poor and care for bringing people up behind us and help mm. them to be successful. Mentorships and, and Christians have built hospitals and orphanages and are many of the first ones to adopt the orphans in our country, the orphans of this time. Uh, we don't need to apologize for that. We actually are doing what God has called us to do. And I'm not saying we don't need to do more and do a better job, but when you're shamed and when your children are shamed, it has the opposite effect of what we're actually hoping the outcome to be. It actually is divides us and makes us afraid to step forward and extend our hand in friendship and love and to build relationship. Because, because honestly, most things are accomplished one-on-one. -on -one. The government doesn't really do a good job of caring for the right. simply by cutting a check. What we're saying mm -hmm. is we are one in Christ, in the body of Christ. I actually had the opportunity a few years ago to serve communion at my church. I would cry every single time I did it as I got to hold the bread and say, this is the body of Christ that died for you. Mm -hmm. And what I recognized in a very, I have went to a very, I've moved since then, so I'm not attending the same church, but, and of course everything closed down, but what I recognized that was so beautiful for me is my church was diverse and every single person that came up was different, different race, different capabilities, different socioeconomic level. And I'm like, I'm seeing heaven. This is what heaven's going to look like. This Amen. is what it's going to be. It's going to be the body, African believers and and South Korean believers and some martyred North Korean believers and you know, Christians from the home church in China and people from, you know, around the world. That is so beautiful to me.
And we need to cast the vision as the church of that's who we are. And the people that are behind us that need help, people of, of those of us that have accomplished some things in life need to take a minute and look around and figure out how you can bring your brother. And we're supposed to care for each other first, right? We're supposed to prefer each other and to help each other get a job and do all those things. But my fear is what's happening in the church is counterproductive to that. And I love your thoughts on that and how pastors are dealing with this issue. As a two-sport varsity athlete, I ran track in middle school and in high school. I've been playing tennis since the third grade. As a former athlete, access to women's sports through Title IX has changed my life. For decades, previous women before me have fought for equality and equal opportunity. And with recent extreme legislation, that undoes all their hard work. Title IX's purpose to protect females across the nation is being stripped away by the left. Undermining Title IX would teach generations of young women like me that their best would never be good enough. I've trained with young men my entire life, and I can personally test the biological and physical differences between young men and young women. I may be strong, but it's no match for a man's strength. As biological men are taking championship spots away from females, we find ourselves in a desert of lost dreams. So protect women's sports. Protect women's sports. Stand up for Title IX. Freedom Center at Liberty University. We're talking about critical race theory. And we're just, we just had this conversation, uh, Ryan, about how important it is for the church, for us to see each other as the body of Christ, the sisters and brothers defined by the fact that we are the sons and daughters of a king, of the king, and purchased by his blood and redeemed by the blood of Christ. And certainly there are no good works that will get us to heaven or even make us ever worthy, but we are all defined as sinners that we're redeemed by the blood of Christ and that we, um, in that role, love each other, recognizing our differences, but preferring each other and caring for each other and bringing each other along and helping each other. And, um, and that looks different in different ways. I mean, you know, maybe you can't help me with the job, but emotionally you can encourage me. Yes. You can, you know, if whatever I'm struggling in, or my kid needs something, you know, whatever it is, there's different ways to encourage each other that has nothing to do with money. Right. That's right. We, We look for ways to love each other. Unfortunately, I believe that this notion of, um, uh, you know, critical race theory, white fragility, the fact that, you know, you don't know, I, I have to say this. Yeah. People don't know what, what you're, what each other have suffered. Right. right. That's amen. Absolutely. No, what I've suffered. I don't right. know what you've suffered. And, um, and we recognize that for our, our minority brothers and sisters in Christ, but they also need to recognize it about us, right? That's right. Mm. I mean, I, I am a survivor of assault on a running path in Virginia when I was pregnant with my daughter, okay? Mm. I could that's be right. very angry about that, and I chose not to be. I chose to love and to forgive, and that's where I am. But you don't know if you're shaming me based on my race. You don't know what I've been through. So it does, and and when you're saying giving, you know, sort of these these self teaching self loathing to our little children, and for them to see each other, see themselves in a way that is con- 
contrary to God's word as being uh, being worthy in Christ and being God's creation, you are hurting people. That's right. And fortunately, I think it's crept, crept into the church. And yeah. so I, and I would really like to hear what you think about how this is being handled by the Southern Baptist specifically, and also by other just pastors that are writing books and talking about this. Yeah. Well, let me, let me just say personal uh, account. And uh, I experienced a little bit of trauma as a freshman in college. I was on spring break and I basically, it was gang violence, uh, but I was doing nothing other than walking down a street in Dallas, Texas uh, and was beat. I was in the hospital for a week, but it was beat up uh, by a gang of uh, all, it was all African-American. And I can only assume what they might've been thinking in this moment. They didn't take any money from me, just beat me up and a uh, bunch of racial slurs and all of that. And uh, so I got two plates, permanent plates in my jaw. They'd reconstruct my jaw and all of that. And I came out of that moment, Penny, uh, you know, working through just God's will, his own sovereignty. I never personalized that story. I never made that a, a thing where I carry that around. It's like the right. first, most people, it's like the first thing, you know, you, you introduce somebody in two minutes, they're already telling you that story, uh, you know, um, yeah, I, like somebody who does CrossFit. I've never heard that story ever. This yeah. is brand new information for me after knowing you for what? I don't know, two or three years. Yeah. And so it, it, it's just a thing where, you know, I have no idea where those those guys are. I don't know what happened to them. I just hope that they they actually come to peace with God through Jesus Christ. I'm really I really do believe that, because if you you know anything about hell, you don't wish that on anyone, even your enemy. You wouldn't wish that on it is. It is eternal damnation and suffering separated from God. And so the reality is, is that there's hate in the world. There's evil in the world. People want to um, want to do things to you and against you and hurt you in ways that you say, man, that, that shows me that the devil is real, you know, and he's got a grip on people's hearts. Uh, and so the gospel is really about the good news that Jesus Christ came to pay our sin debt. Let me supply another quick story. Then I'm going to talk about the SBC. Um, it was just about a year ago, a year or two ago, uh, that uh, um, I'm trying to remember now, uh, Kanye West, when he was going around and he was doing the Sunday morning worship sessions and Adam Tyson. His whole album was fantastic music. Yeah, I loved it. Our family loved it. Our kids enjoyed it. Um, and Adam Tyson, who uh, was trained by Dr. John MacArthur, went around, he was a master's graduate, went around and preached the gospel. I was so thrilled to see Adam Tyson in those services doing exposition, just verse by verse, here's the gospel, let me explain it. And he, he preached the parable of the debtors, the two debtors, the one debtor that owed the master all this money, and he forgave his debt. But then he went and he, on the way, he found somebody else who owed him a great debt. And in that moment, he was not willing to forgive that debt. And so when the master caught up with him, guess what? You know, he threw him into prison because he's saying, look, I've forgiven you a far greater debt, a far greater debt, and you still want to hold this little thing over someone else's head. And I'll never forget what Adam Tyson said in response to that. He said, some of you here feel as though you are oppressed and you may very well be. Some of you here are hurting 
from a hurt that is too deep, too beyond words to even explain. But if you are not willing to forgive others and those that wronged you, you ultimately will not be forgiven before our before God. And when he said that, I mean, I was like, whoa, man, <laughs> that is a brave man. Dimming, right. You just that is that, that is, is that's, the, that's the truth. It is the truth. And this whole racial prejudice, this new thing, I remember color blindness when I was a kid. That was what we all talked about was color blindness today. This new anti-racism is the greatest racial prejudice perhaps we've ever seen. Uh, and, and just it, it's manifested itself in a new way. And uh, and I'm not I'm, I'm, just, I, I'm the issue of color blindness, though, honestly, is like I, I don't know that it was real. I, I honestly don't think it even should be real. I think we we see each other in the beauty yeah. of God's creation. Right. We're That's all right. Created. It's like beautiful garments or whatever, you know, that I, that's I right. Fashion and everything's, you know, I love things that are different and beautiful and, and that's yeah. how the human race is, honestly, that's right. all created differently in, in God's tapestry of beautiful design. We don't have to deny there's differences. We embrace them and embrace Amen. them in each other and love that about each other. That's right. I, I, I th we're a mosaic of God's creation. And so we all have red and yellow, black and white, we are all precious in the sight of God, and we have to recognize that He, we are fearfully and wonderfully made, and God made no mistakes in that. Yeah. And the color blindness, by the way, was a narrative of secularism. That was their thing. Uh, again, the church produces its own diversity. So I want to go into this real quick, and then I'm going to talk about SBC. When, when you look at Acts chapter 2, the preaching at Pentecost, that literally 40 days after the ascension of Christ, and he says to his apostles, you're going to receive power. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the other uttermost parts of the earth. And then what happened? That happened that day that, um, you know, this is I'm not going to get into the variant theological disputes about right. speaking in tongues. But I will say that that day they heard the word of God preached in their own native tongue and God through the gospel produced a kingdom diversity that was not out of man's effort and was not falsely engineered. It was not about a quota system. God makes children, not of flesh and blood, but born by the spirit of God, as it says in John chapter one. And so when we as, as the church, whether it be a denomination or a local church, are trying to, in a way, produce an environment in which we say, the most important thing we can do, Penny, as, a, as our public witness, another way of saying public relations or PR strategy, is to create a sense of diversity. So we're going to try our darndest. We could be in the middle of uh, Missouri or South Dakota or whatever uh, in, in the backwoods, and it might be a 99.7% uh, ethnic hegemony where you only have Anglo whites, but but certain denominations are trying to promote this idea that is clearly you cannot only in urban environments is that possible. Um, and so, you know, the important thing is that as we as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we don't live by a quota. What we're actually and we don't live by some sort of secular ideology, uh, like affirmative action. God calls people to himself. He, he sows that seed broadly, and it could be the Ethiopian eunuch. It could be somebody 
uh, in, in uh, Persia and in, in modern-day Iran. Uh, people are responding to, to the gospel everywhere, but we ourselves cannot produce fake diversity. Diversity is coming. Ultimately, God is building up his church, and we have to recognize that just as he did on the day of Pentecost, drawing all those non-Jewish Gentiles to the gospel. That's how we do it. So, and what's happening? Just get in here. You know, yeah. my uh, my father was a pastor for 51 years, and he died six months ago. Um, and and it's, we feel his loss very acutely. And uh, my dad was a very conservative Baptist. He was actually a free will Baptist pastor in mm. the 70s. He was so ahead of his time, and I thought, boy, like in a very thoughtful way. Yeah. wanted to break down barriers and the way he did it was bringing people together and introducing them right and he um he had he started out he got to know and made friends with some local african-american pastors mm -hmm. that were you know gospel pastors people that believed the same things that he believed they just happened to have an african-american church and he had an all-white church and mm -hmm. my dad strongly like billy graham believed there should be no uh it, just like in heaven there should be no division in the church we should all be welcome in each other's congregations and right. love know each other and so he got to know them and then he brought over their choir um, and they, their choir sang at our church and then they joined into our, our service and then we went to theirs. And then before you knew it, there yeah. were these relationships and friendships in town that had never existed before. And the dynamic was gone of you go to this church and I go to that church. No, we came together in friendship. And this is, you know, again, I think 1970 or something in yeah. East Tennessee. And so he, it wasn't even really like he was trying to make a point. He just wanted his church to look like heaven is going to look like. And he wanted to love his Amen. brother. And he wanted the people in his congregation to love each other when they passed each other at school or in the grocery store to have a relationship with each other. That's a different thing. It is. What we're seeing now. That's right. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul uh, to the church of Ephesus talks about this dividing wall of hostility that existed between the Jews and the, and the Gentiles. And by the way, it wasn't a racial hostility, but it was a hostility based on the covenant that God had given to Israel. And every, anybody outside of that was just an uncircumcised pagan. And the Judaizers in the church were trying to say to the Gentiles, oh, no, 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 no. There are rules, uh, friend. If you want to join the church, it's not it's Jesus plus something else. You gotta, you gotta get circumcision. You gotta right. do all these Abrahamic uh, codes uh, that you have to follow, the Mosaic law, all of those things. Jesus came to fulfill all of that, and he broke down that wall of hostility and really created one church that that was was a unification. We're not just talking about skin tone and melanin and all of that. We're talking about literally those people that could never be saved, the unsavables, the deplorables, right, could now be saved. And uh, that that is what we have to recognize that happened. And you're exactly right. The gospel has always been about that. It is being perverted today. And, it, and, and churches that are looking at CRT and trying to glean from it answers, um, I'm going to bring up a term, uh, but Hegelian dialectic, basically a third way. Let's take Christianity and let's mix it with something else and let's see what we come out with. And it's basically a bitter poison cocktail mm -hmm. and let's all drink it. Well, it's liberation theology from the 60s sort of revisited, right? That's, yep, that's it. You know, James Cone, uh, 
who, whose many works uh, came out in the 1960s. It was kind of Marxism. Then you also have Herbert Marcuse, Kimberly Crenshaw, Angela Davis. I mean, there's all these people that are writing these new works. You mentioned Robin D'Angelo's White Fragility earlier. Um, these are these are poison pills. It, you know, if I were to ask how much how much arsenic would you tolerate me putting in your children's milk and and still allow them to drink it, you'd say that's insane. I wouldn't allow one drop, not one drop in the milk. Well, that's essentially what some are trying to do uh, within the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, within the Presbyterian Church of America, and within some of the organizations that you'll see like Christianity Today, their publication that is a far cry from what it originally was when it was founded by Billy Graham, or the Gospel Coalition. They're trying to find ways that they can, quote unquote, glean, uh, basically a third way, and try to introduce this into Christian circles and see what we come up with. And churches are being divided over this issue. So what's the answer, Ryan? I'm a, we're an activist organization. Certainly we believe in, in prayer and that's the Amen. first and most important thing that we can possibly do. Um, what's the answer mm -hmm. to, uh, you know, the mom that is dealing with this in her school, but, even more importantly, perhaps the congregant who's saying, I, I don't recognize my church anymore. I want everybody there, but I, this is Marxism. Mm. Socialism is creeping in this ID, other ideologies that we thought we had banished from the church in the sixties are showing back up. Yeah. How, how do we deal with this and how do we, you know, deal with it within, um, you know, certain denominations? You know, I, I love mama theologians. My wife is a mama theologian. Uh, she teaches our kids uh, from the scriptures every day. We actually homeschool. Some people, that's not an option. You know, mama and dad uh, both work. And I get that. I understand that. Um, it, we are coming at a, a crossroads in our country and in our culture where certain things that we used to enjoy uh, you know, the ability to be able to trust your local public school with certain things. Um, maybe you live in a very conservative enclave in, a, in maybe a liberal state or whatever. We're going to have to take ownership of education again. Right. I right. think it does start with getting our story straight. Listen to good theologians. Listen to good teachers on this. And it doesn't have to be Who difficult. Who do you recommend on this? Who would you like for people to, to listen to on specifically this issue? Well, I will say one of our fellows who's actually involved with the Freedom Center is Daryl Harrison, and I'll add to that Virgil Walker. They have a podcast called Just Thinking. Uh, it's great. I, I, I would refer uh, young women to people like uh, Allie Beth Stuckey at Relatable. She does a great job there. Um, and there's some, there's some other, there's some other uh, podcasts within the uh, conservative Christian circuit. Um, I'm trying to remember... I can't, I'll think of it. I'll probably shoot it to you later in an email. But the point is, is that we need to be listening to the right voices. When I talk to young people here at, at Liberty University, you know, it's one thing to understand counterfeit. It's another thing to understand the genuine article. If I were to hold up a $20 bill right now, we would know all the reasons why it's authentic. We need to know our authentic, what authentic biblical Christianity is we need to do that by investing time in the Word of God. There are no shortcuts to that. We need to be constantly engaged with reading the Bible, hearing good preaching. I wouldn't waste a whole lot of time with 
oh, I need to know the, the depths of CRT to really understand it. Uh, there's a few books you could engage with if you want to, but don't waste a lot of time there. Honestly, uh, we, we need to respond to it, but what, how are we going to respond? We need to replace it with something that is better, and that is the gospel. Amen. Well, and you know, you're, you're right. I mean, parents, I, I truly believe, again, as a, as a mom of two kids that I've now are one's graduated from college, the other's in college. Like I, I've been there and it is very difficult for parents and not everyone can afford private Christian school, which is what That's we, right. my husband and I did, um, or necessarily even homeschool. Like if you're doing two jobs just to pay your rent, you can't homeschool. That's although right. the Biden administration wants you to be forced to do that. Right. But, um, but uh, you can show up, it, it, most of us, not everybody, but all, most of us can show up at the school board meeting. And I would suggest for the, for particularly for Christian women, there's a calling for you, I believe, to speak truth to power and perhaps to even run for school board. Amen. And South Lake, Texas. To lead, right? And to, to get the school back on track. And, you know, for those moms who would love for you to do that, but they've got to go to their second job so they can't, they'd be, you know, we're grateful, right? We and are. So, um, so I just would challenge women that are listening. If mm. you're like, somebody needs to do something that somebody needs to be you, that yeah. must be you at some level pulling everybody. And you're not going to be alone because you're not the only person who thinks this, the mm. nonsense of gender identity politics and denial of bi basic biology and physiology is of deep concern to most people, <laughs> most yeah. right thinking people. And the fact that our, your kids are being indoctrinated with critical race theory and being subjugated to this school of thought that is non-Christian, non-biblical is of deep concern and it has an impact on your children. So right. sister, lead, we'll help you. This is really important. So, okay, so that we're, now we're, talk, we're done talking about school. Talk to me about the church. You know, I, I would just say too, if you're in a woke church and you got a woke pastor uh, and he, you know, um, it's defined by the kind of preaching that you're hearing. If it all, if it's all geared towards identity politics, uh, it, you need to run from that. I, I would just say, don't waste your time. You need to go to a healthy place where you can be fed from the scriptures, invest time in, in, a, in a healthy congregation where you can give your life to that, to that church and that church is, is pouring itself into you as well. And build community around that. Don't waste a lot of time, especially if you've got children involved. Yeah. Uh, you know, I would say get them in a healthy place where they are going to be inscripturated. There's a word uh, where they're actually going to be catechized. They're going to be taken through um, an understanding of what the faith is and, and go there. And I, I've had a lot of friends uh, in the past year that because of this challenge, particularly with COVID-19, they saw, they saw for the first time a weak pastor. They didn't know, uh, but you know, six months or nine months or even a year down the road, their pastor has not changed. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, I think it's Here's about time to get out. If yeah. your pastor can manage to do, go to a, an outdoor gathering, large gathering and march with Black Lives Matter, but can't yeah. reopen their church, you're probably in the wrong church. Amen. Amen. You know, if your pastor every week has the courage to go shop at uh, Home Depot or Lowe's or Walmart and yet can't find a way to open up, you're in the wrong place. And I will add to it, Penny, 
I went to seminary with some of these bold Canadians. Uh, Jacob Rayom is a friend of mine, somebody that uh, I was in seminary with in Kentucky. And that man is on fire for the Lord. He has risked his life. He, he, his family has been put at risk. Uh, the Canadian authorities came down on him and on his church, uh, Trinity Bible, and, uh, and they even shut him down. But I tell you, that guy is more American than many Americans I've seen. And one of the things he told me in, in conversation more recently, he said, you know what your country has the benefit of? And I said, what? He goes, at least you have Ameri an American revolution. He said, Canada was granted, granted independence. You guys fought for it. And that's how you obtained it. Canada didn't fight for any of that. Well, and there's so, been a lot of discussion about what's happening in Canada. And, uh, you know, they, they again, we had a revolution. They just kind of shrugged, right? And right. We're, current, we're wired very differently. Our history is very different. Uh, mm. There is a, I think, um, a group of, you know, leftists in this country who enjoy authoritarianism and they do. being told what to do. And uh, there's this sort of morality has become a religion. And there's been a lot written. Um, there was a great piece in the Atlantic that was written recently about that, about sort of people are having trouble letting go of the pandemic. And part of that is going back to church. And I, I don't know if it's laziness I don't know if it's being not following the science and being overcautious. I don't know if it's listening to what voices in their churches, but mm. there is a whole group of believers who desperately need the church. They're, they're mm. depressed. They're lonely. Some of them are suicidal. Our kids, how are they going to ever meet anyone? And, you know, young adults, and I, I run into this in my office, whose churches are closed. Where do we want them to meet future spouses? Right. I, we don't, I don't think Christians should have to date online. I think we should help each other and introduce each other within our community, within our church. And there should be a, a broad enough body that we can bring people together and, you know, all that. I'm not saying you can't, I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying yeah. that I wish that, I wish that young people in the church in America did not have to do that. I want them to meet each other in their community and get to know each other at, through friendships and that grow into love and marriage and children. And so I know they want that too. And they're very lonely. Amen. Very sad. And we have let them down and we are, we're bringing in interns, you know, this summer. And we did, by the way, at the end of last summer too, because we said, we're not, you have suffered so much disappointment as young people in this country. I'm not, we're not going to add to that. You, yeah. You know, we'll keep safe, we'll keep our distance, we'll do what we need to do, but you're going to have your internship. And I really appreciate it. And, and, and this has been so good, Ryan. We, we, I've got to wrap this up, but I got to say, I appreciate the fact, and I, I should disclose that I'm on the board of Liberty University, but I just, I just appreciate that Dr. Jerry Prevo, our president, kept in-person classes open yes. this year. And um, I know the kids that have attended there have had a great year and are finishing up and going home if they haven't already. Um, and, and, and I so appreciate that the Freedom Center and other great theologians, men and women are there to help them understand real biblical worldview and to help guard their hearts against false doctrines. It's yeah. essential we must do that. And, uh, you know, as a nation,
we owe Liberty University a debt of gratitude for doing that. So thank you, Ryan, for your leadership. You are doing a great job and um, just have enjoyed having you today. We'll have you on again to talk about this and other issues. Hey, Penny, it's my pleasure. Thank you for all you're doing at Concerned Women for America and uh, the leadership you provide for Liberty University. And we, of course, we wouldn't be able to do any of this without Dr. Prevo as well. Right. And uh, so I'm, I'm thankful for women who are standing in the gap, men who are standing in the gap to ensure that the foundations of freedom are preserved for the next generation. Amen, brother. All right. Thank you and God bless. God bless. Thanks for listening. Concerned Women Today is a ministry of Concerned Women for America, bringing you biblical perspective to today's most pressing issues. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and be sure to leave a review and subscribe to the podcast. We pray this episode has been a blessing to you. For more information, visit ConcernedWomen.org. That's ConcernedWomen.org.